Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. Now the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 4. Let us listen for the word of God. Jesus left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where will you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. 
Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have no food to eat that you do not know about. I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest. But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of that woman's testimony. He told me everything I had ever done, the woman said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two more days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. It is a profound privilege for my family and I to be here this morning. Aware of your history, your rich history of preaching and worship, and so much more. Music, the celebration of the sacraments, local and global mission, existing for the neighborhood and the city. Not to mention this beautiful sanctuary that we are now in, it's an honor to be in this pulpit under any circumstances, but it is especially meaningful to be here this day as the candidate presented by your PNC to become senior pastor. Back in January, when my wife Laurel and I arrived into LaGuardia Airport and made our way into the city, my heart began to beat a bit faster as the skyscrapers of Midtown came into view. After settling into where we were staying, Laurel and I walked up Madison Avenue so that we could become more familiar with the neighborhood in which this church is located. And throughout that interview weekend, I was filled with a sense of hope and possibility, not just being reminded of my deep love for the city. As you know, I grew up in the suburbs of New Jersey, and I always longed to be on this side of the tunnels and bridges. But I was most excited by the possibility of ministry with you. And I had a feeling, a conviction, a sense that this call could be the culmination of so many experiences in my life, ministerial, academic, personal, professional, even family experiences. I'm truly thankful for the PNC for identifying something in me to bring before you this morning.
I thank you, the entire congregation, for all of the work and time that has gone into this call process and for this incredibly meaningful extended weekend. Laurel and I are here today with our four-month-old daughter, Lila, and you have received us so wonderfully. For months, I've watched your services online, and it's been great to spend time with many of you in person, to be with the staff and, and all of those that I've met this weekend, elders and trustees and deacons and congregation members. Thank you for such a warm and hospitable welcome, and for those that I am yet to meet, I hope and look forward to the opportunity to get to know you and for you to get to know me and my family. As I wrote in my introductory letter to the congregation, it will be extremely meaningful for Laurel and I and Lila to share moments in our life with you and for us to be invited into your life as we share in life together in this community through our love and passion for Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church and the way Jesus Christ can be at work here in and through this place. It's been amazing to feel God at work throughout this call process, and it is so meaningful to be here today. Today's lectionary reading is about Jesus' interactions with a Samaritan woman at the well, and it's about the gift of faith described as living water and what faith is capable of doing in our lives. Living water describes a dynamic faith that strengthens, comforts, and guides through all of the complexities of our lives. It gives us a sense of hope and possibility that God can always do the astonishing for us and for others as well. As we see here with the Samaritan woman at the well, living water can come to us in the most unexpected of places and in the most unexpected of times. When Jesus went to Samaria, he shattered false division and ideas of who was worthy or unworthy of God's love. Perhaps the most famous verses of Scripture come to us from the Gospel according to St. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that God gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. When John tells us that Jesus had to go to Samaria, it wasn't because he literally had to. The way you have to cross Fifth Avenue to get to Central Park from here but because he was morally compelled to go. For God so loved the world. The Samaritans were among the least expected people to receive God's love. Deep animosity existed between Jews and Samaritans. Even the disciples, when they returned from buying food, are described as being astonished when they see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. Astonished because God's love is working in ways that they didn't expect and could have never of imagined. God's love for others can never be circumscribed. When Jonah is sent to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, he says, surely God doesn't intend to save those people. When Saul, who is later renamed Paul, has his transformative experience with the risen Christ, 
and God sends Ananias to go minister to him. Ananias says in response, surely you don't mean to send me to him. It's dangerous. As we see in Jesus Christ and elsewhere throughout Scripture, God is always going to Samaria and all of the places that are like it, to Nineveh and to Paul. And because God goes there, we should too. Because as John tells us, God so loved the world. The living water of God can never be limited. Hope and possibility exist for all people. And that includes you and I. The Samaritan woman was at the well at noon, the hottest time of day, knowing that women often went in groups early in the morning or later in the day when the weather was much cooler. We rightfully wonder why she's there at that time, the hottest time of the day, alone. Was she a poor planner and ran out of water at the most inconvenient of times? Or maybe, and this is what most people think, maybe she was an outcast because of her relationship history. Maybe she's a victim of the Levitical code that mandated that if one husband dies or a husband dies, his brother would marry her. And this happened five times, and the man that she's currently with is too scared or too clever to marry her. He didn't want to lose his life. Maybe her five husbands symbolize her unquenchable search for fulfillment in relationship. Perhaps the five husbands are also symbolic for the five foreign nations that intermingled with Samaritans when the Israelites were taken off into the Assyrian exile. We don't know, and I'm not sure how much it even matters. What matters is that God came to her in Samaria with all of her baggage, no matter how you understand it. And as astonishing as this might sound, God's gift of living water can come to you too. Sometimes we get so caught up in our current situations that all we can do is settle for that which helps to get us by. Sometimes all we can do is to simply persevere and abide by the saying that this too shall pass. But as the woman at the well's experience demonstrates, if we believe in God, we must never stop hoping and even anticipating. Because in Jesus Christ, we see that God can always be at work. Going about her day, the Samaritan woman's life was forever interrupted when Jesus offered her the astonishing gift of living water. Living water is the gift of faith, and it infuses our lives with a sense of hope and possibility. It reframes how we see the world because of the hope and strength we find, not in ourselves and our circumstances, but the hope and strength that we find in God. This woman at the well couldn't grasp what was happening or what was being offered. She asked, how can you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? Her sense of possibility has been worn down over the history that precedes her. Jesus insists he can give her living water, but she's limited in her understanding and points out that he has no bucket and the well is too deep. 
It's impossible by human standards. Because of seeming impossibility, sometimes we resign ourselves as well. We expect and want too little. We lose our sense of anticipation and anticipation. But God's love and activity in the world can never be circumscribed, not even by our own experiences and understanding. And that's what makes God's love so astonishing. Almost a year ago, I preached a sermon on one of my favorite Bible verses. It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It's such a meaning Bible verse that Laurel and I have it printed, and it actually hangs over Lila's changing table. I've heard it said that some of the best sermons are those that you're preaching to yourself, and the congregation a year and a half ago that I was preaching to didn't know it, but that day I was preaching to myself. On a very personal note, over a two and a half year time span, Laurel and I had two miscarriages and an additional two IVF transfers that didn't result in the pregnancy that we so desperately wanted. It was a tough time, to say the least. And our faith was a significant source of strength and comfort as we longed for the fulfillment of a deep hope. Faith was a living water that helped us persevere through an emotional roller coaster, getting our hopes up with possibility only to have it lead where it did. Faith sustained us, it helped us, it gave us hope that God could be at work even as we prepared for the increasing possibility that our dreams might not look the way we had originally envisioned. As Laurel was preparing for a diagnostic procedure to see if any information, any further information could be learned about our situation, the day before this procedure, with no particular reason to have any realistic expectation, we were worn down over the years, and I think that I was at the point where for the first time in this two and a half year time span, I was even hesitant, the eternal optimist, I was even too hesitant to expect too much. But Laurel decided to take a pregnancy test. And the astonishing happened. Laurel was pregnant. And here we are with a four-month-old, Lila. As I share this, I know very well that there are some, or many, in these pews or watching us online who are waiting for their own miracle not just for a pregnancy, but the healing of an illness, the mending of a broken relationship, the fulfillment of some deep-seated longing, hope and desire. You know miracles happen. You've heard others talk about them. You've read about them in the Bible. But you, you're forced to wait. It's interesting to note that the words hoping and waiting can often be used interchangeably in the Bible, and this is the case for the passage I quoted earlier from Isaiah 40:31. But those who hope or wait in the Lord 
will renew their strength. And waiting is hard, I know, and I want you to know that Laurel and I are open to talking to you or anyone that you know about our struggles because we benefited from such conversations ourselves. And while I would value a personal conversation, in the meantime, from this pulpit, I want you to know that as we wait and long for the fulfillment of our desires, that the living water available in God through Jesus Christ truly has the power to shape and sustain us. The living water of God does not solve all our complexities and struggles. It doesn't take away our pain and our need. There's a reason that Paul speaks so much about persevering through our struggles and that perseverance produces character and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Living water does not take away our struggles, but it provides an amazing source of strength to navigate them and to get through them. Living water may not be the answer to all our prayers. It may not bring the fulfillment of all our earthly longings and hopes, no matter how noble those hopes might be. But it's an amazing source of comfort and encouragement, and it fills us with the knowledge of God's love in Jesus Christ. And this love is why the church exists. In a complex world of joys and blessings alongside difficulties and hardships, through faith we claim to the ultimate love and reality of God that's revealed not in our circumstances, but in Jesus Christ. And as John tells us, this is a faith that is gushing up to eternal life. Some meaningful moments in my life and ministry came to me when I was serving as a chaplain intern at New York Presbyterian Hospital over on 68th and York. That summer, there was a patient, and his name was David. And the doctors were at a loss as to what he was going through. And being at a loss, they called the chaplaincy office, hoping that having a partner in conversation would help alleviate some of his anguish. When I walked into his room and introduced myself as a chaplain for the summer, he told me that he wasn't religious. I assured him that if he still wanted, we could certainly have a conversation, and he said that would be fine. And so that day, we talked about the weather and the Mets and Yankees who were on the small TV in the room and made general small talk. On our second visit, I asked if I could conclude our time together with a prayer, and he agreed. On our third visit, as he articulated the anguish that he went through, particularly in the lonely hours at night when he was left alone with his thoughts and he could feel every ache and pain, he asked if I could offer some relief in addition to prayer, and so I, I happened to have a Bible with me, and I, I told him that I've always found great strength and comfort in the Psalms, and I pointed him to the passage that I keep coming back to in the book of Isaiah. And I, I put a bookmark there, and I left it with him. I went back to visit him a couple of days later, and David told me that the Psalms were giving him great strength for what he was going through. As my time came to an end that summer, I didn't know if this was appropriate to do so or not, but I gave him my email and telephone number. I didn't ask for his. And I returned to Princeton Theological Seminary. I, I graduated, and I went on to my first call at the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. One day, years later, I was riding my bike home from the church, and my phone rang. 
I took it out of my pocket. I saw a 212 area code growing up in New Jersey. I immediately knew. I don't know why, but I felt an urgency to take this call, so I accepted it. This man on the other line introduced himself as David's brother. And David immediately rang a bell to me. I, I knew exactly who he was talking about, and so I squeezed on the brakes. I, I'm not sure if it was the left or the right one, but I squeezed so hard that the front tire came to a screeching halt, and I was propelled over the front handlebars, blooding my hand, all the while trying to maintain a conversation in which he would know none of this. I dragged my bike on the pavement, and I sat down on a curb in, in front of a house. I, I must have been quite a mess for those driving by. And I had a conversation with David's brother. He told me that David had recently died and left behind an address book. And in this address book were many names, and next to some of the names was a star indicating that he would like for those people to be contacted in the event of his death. I was incredibly humbled, and it continues to mean so much to me that I was one of those people. His brother told me that when David left the hospital, eventually being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, he continued to read his Bible. He joined a local church. I'd be curious to check the roles of this church with its proximity to New York Presbyterian Hospital. I don't know what church he attended. But I was told that while his life was short, it was full because he had a faith that reminds me of the living water that Jesus speaks of. It's a faith that transcends our circumstances, but gives us strength to navigate all the complexities of our lives. And we know that there are so many joys and blessings, but there are also difficulties and struggles. But through it all, God's love remains steadfast and present and a tremendous source of strength and help to us. St. Augustine famously remarked, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Amid all the activity and shops of Madison Avenue, all the exciting and wonderful things that the city and even this neighborhood itself has to offer, the church offers something unique, significant, that which is most important to every single one of us the love of God. In a world where we and others are searching for fulfillment, meaning a sense of purpose, the church doesn't just offer that which gets us by. It offers us the living water, the water that can make one more alive by awakening us to the hope and possibility that always exists in and through God. It's the belief that God can do the astonishing. And when we are filled with the living water, we can bring that hope and possibility to others. That's why we exist. As we prepare to celebrate communion, may God do the astonishing among us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.